1: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books and Indian Religions podcast, a podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkran and today I get the pleasure of welcoming back to the podcast dr caleb simmons who is professor of religious studies at the university of arizona he's been on before to talk about um so, uh, uh, two of his monographs devotional sovereignty singing the goddess into place and, and uh, uh, a fascinating uh edited volume that i contributed to myself nine nights of the goddess but today um uh, above and beyond his scholarship we're going to speak with caleb about his role as the executive director of an entity called U Arizona online and of course that will probably lead into some interesting and timely discussion caleb welcome back to the podcast
0: uh thanks for having me raj always happy to be on with you yes it's
1: always like you know old friends meeting at random <laughs> conferences and random podcasts somehow <laughs> <laughs> um so you know um yeah the 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 your your profession is is so in so many ways simpatico and an alternate universe of my own. Insofar as not only do you study the Hindu goddess, uh, you're also into administration and all in education. Look at that! It's like you know I'm having a bit of a man crush on your career. It's an alternate version of what I'm doing, I suppose. Um, but uh, you're probably aware that I do online education as well, and I, I run a, a, an online school, et cetera, et cetera. But this this entity called you, Arizona Online, tell us a bit about it. How long has it been in existence?
0: Yeah, um, Arizona Online launched in 2015 uh, as the online campus for the University of Arizona, so offering the the same courses taught by the same faculty uh, that we do on we have on main campus just now offering it in an online modality so since 2015 uh, we've you know invested in onboarding programs uh, building out student support mechanisms uh, and of course thereby growing enrollment Uh, as now at this point um, as of yesterday we have over 9,100 students um and we which makes up roughly one-fifth of the population of the University of Arizona Uh, and so we've grown in in leaps and bounds and you know have over 160 uh, degree and certificate programs both at the undergraduate and the graduate level.
1: Fantastic I mean this is exciting I mean I think I've touched on this a number of times in previous podcasts here and there that it seems to me that online education is you know um Nothing can replace in-person contact, retreats, et cetera, et cetera. Nevertheless, um, I think gone are the days thanks to COVID where folks think of online education as somehow the fast food of, of of the pedagogy world. And I think people have had direct experiences uh, 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 of transformative learning, uh, impactful learning. that just happens to be through the online medium. Yeah. Would you say in your personal experience, you've noticed, you know, as a as professor at university and as well, leading up to directing this this institution, what are your observations about online education? What's your perspective?
0: Yeah, you know, I I think you know, your point about COVID is, you know, pretty apropos because what COVID did for so many social and economic issues is it, it didn't necessarily, you know, cause a lot. It did cause some, obviously, but it... um a light was shown onto pre-existing issues. Uh, and one thing that it did in higher education in particular is it, um, it, it highlighted the fact that gone are the days of the, you know, quote unquote traditional student, uh, those that go to a residential college or university four years, don't work, have no outside obligations. Uh, And in fact, when you look at the data, I mean, it's been quite some time that that hasn't been the majority of students. And now the vast majority, almost three out of every four students that attend any higher education institution are post-traditional or non-traditional students, meaning that they have some sort of work or care obligation. Uh, They are independent for financial purposes. Uh, they haven't followed a traditional high school to um, higher education route, uh, and these were students that we were not serving properly. Uh, and then through the the transition to virtual education, digital education, online education through uh, the, the pandemic, what we realized is that we do have mechanisms to serve these students better, um, and that once we made the offering available, it wasn't just you know new students who were we were finding but also our current students needed that flexibility to be able to um go to school and live their lives and and live them both to the to the fullest and so now we see is statistics coming from you know sort of every large organization for online and distance education uh confirming that over half of all students even those at residential universities and colleges uh want at least partial online learning. And so the market demand from students is just flowering. And it's because we haven't been serving the the actual needs of our students as we should be.
1: Is it fair to say that what you're doing at Arizona is... A little bit ahead of the curve, institutional across universities.
0: Yeah, you know, um, it's always a matter of perspective, <laughs> um, uh, because in Arizona, um, one thing that's great about the the state is that we've had a lot of interest in online education going back to you know University of, of Phoenix, ASU Online. Grand Canyon uh, University, who offers a mo- the majority of their uh, programs online. Uh, so it's been something that's kind of in the in the water in Arizona, maybe. Uh, and so Ari- University of Arizona, we took a, a different approach than some of our, our other colleagues here, where we really wanted to focus on our identity as a research one AAU institution and ensuring that we recreate the rigor of our in-person main campus uh, programs, but in an online modality. So rethinking our pedagogy from the ground up and our andragogy, also because we're really serving a lot of adult learners, uh, you know, building it from the ground up to maintain that rigor and rethink how do you teach with rigor uh, with the same fullness in an online modality. So not saying that, you know, it's the it's the same because that's the the wrong uh, way to look at it. But it is a another option that can be done just as well. Um, and it, it stands on its own merits.
1: Yeah, it's another path up the mountain, right? It's another uh, means exactly. of, of arriving at at whatever the learning objectives are. And this is a really really important point. I have to tell you, I mean, I I'm very much, you know, if you can believe, it, an old fashioned face to face handshake wheeling and dealings kind of guy, and. Um, I don't consume very much online content at all. Uh, don't spend a whole lot of time on social media, and yet, ironically, I have a career producing a ton of it with podcasts, and online courses. I have an online school, and and to me, it's just that the medium is online, but the way of being is it's not so so different from teaching in front of a classroom. Although there has to be some. Some the uh, some alterations, I suppose, uh, some modifications. But I went from a cynic, a real cynic about the efficacy of online education, because I, in addition to you know, I've really benefited from face-to-face, deep transmissions with teachers. And I I went from a cynic to having a thriving career teaching people online. It's it's astonishing the kinds of impact and uh, transformations people can enjoy through the online medium. Could you say a little bit about? the pedagogy piece and sort of what you have learned, what you're, you know, share a bit more about that, that journey of uh, teaching online, which is impressive. Yeah,
0: I, you know, my personal journey for online was a circuitous one, but one that the more I taught and the more I learned, the more I realized that the 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 modality of online provided unique tools for my subject matter specifically uh, as a scholar of South Asia. I mean, I've always taught at large state public institutions, starting at the University of Florida as a graduate student, then the University of Mississippi, and now the the University of Arizona. Uh, And Believe it or not, there's lot, not a lot of demand for people to major in South Asian religions. Uh, however, it was a subject that people were interested in. So I was teaching gen, gen, general education courses, um, and I was finding that there was, I was hitting a roadblock with a lot of my students because one of my, my first courses that I taught was Hindu mythology. I know it's a subject near and dear to, to both of our hearts. Uh, I've heard and, a
1: thing or two about
0: independence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and So it wound up being this instance where, you know, I'm excited about the subject, the students are excited about the subject, but there's a language barrier, a literal language barrier with the, the Sanskrit words, pronunciation, and the length uh, of the words. So for them to be able to to hear, recognize, connect it to what they were reading was really difficult. The first time I ever did an asynchronous online course, I realized immediately when our um, accessibility team put in captions, and of course I had to go through and, and clear them up and like change some of the spellings for things to make them align with the reading materials, what I noticed is that students' grades were getting better their actual achievement of the learning was better because they could pause it, they could read along, they could make those associations a way that was very difficult in lecture. I mean, I could have names on PowerPoints, but, you know, when you get excited and in the mode and you you sort of switch over into the theatrics of telling a story and you switch between epithets, you know, Shiva, Maheshwara, in, in that moment you're excited because you're a subject matter expert, but it's it's whizzing past the, the students in those moments when you're your most dynamic. Uh, and online lecture allows you to continue that dynamic presentation and then through um, tools like um, captioning, uh, not only does it make it more accessible for all students, uh, when, no matter what their uh, level of, of abilities, um, now it's also making it easier for them to learn the subject and so now those those baseline hurdles of kind of data we can overcome that and we can actually get to the meat of the discussion uh, once we have all those data points aligned so for my personal subject uh, teaching primarily hinduism uh, the online modality actually allowed me to be a better teacher and for my students to be more successful learners
1: I really like the way that you frame that. I mean, of course, you know, the, the, the key idea, a driving force, I think, in both of our careers and, and the podcast, et cetera, is, is accessibility and people interested in the conversation, and they just need um, a, a way in, you know, a way to keep up with what's going on. It's not a question of intelligence, it's just a question of familiarity and background. And um, when you say that, what comes up to my mind is, um, this instinct, uh, these days I do a fair, almost all continue. I do some credit teaching once or twice a year. I'll, I'll do an online uh, contract that I love corrupting the youth, as they say, um, uh, that, that uh, don't get any ideas folks. That's the Socrates reference. Anyhow. Um, but, uh, uh, mostly continuing studies. Um, and these days a lot of people who are in the yoga circuit, the sort of the, the, the yoga teacher training, uh, facilities where they're looking for uh Indian philosophy they're looking for mythology like the, you know the new book stories poses. and and I, I often say like look you're going to get more slides and links that you know what to do with it at the end of this presentation just be with me be in the story you know a lot give yourself the permission to just absorb what you can in the moment you'll take a lot away especially with the storytelling pieces and I'll give you all the information you need and, and and like 30,000 foot view, we're in the information age. We have no more information and access information that we have to do with. And it's just a question of, I think, curation and um, digestion. And so I like the way you framed that. It's a question of just, you know, giving them the information that they need, that they can consume at their pace, rather than at the pace that you're additionally about in class. Um, have you always been interested in online education?
0: You know, I in when i was working on my phd at university of florida uh with professor vasudha narayan and uh, she approached me one day with an interesting opportunity to the the provost was um so trying to get applications uh for online courses uh, and this was um the before uh, uf online even launched um and i had some teaching experience i had some experience with, you know, websites. And so it wound up actually being just uh, the right at the right place, the right time. But when I got into it, part of the, you know, building the, the grant proposal was learning more about online pedagogy and its tools. And as soon as I, I, I was successful in the, in the grant, as soon as I was able to teach it, I saw the benefits for, for my subject matter. Um, and so it wound up being one of those things that I, you know, like any other professional development that i i had needed to work on and needed to get better but the better i got the more i saw that it was rewarding professionally for myself also for my students and so it really opened it up and then when i started to really grow as a as a as an educator and think about the ideas of access writ large so thinking about accommodations for students that need things um the asynchronous online modality is um squishy in a way that you can accommodate a lot more people, but also thinking about our mission as educators, you know, we've developed expertise and, you know, as educators, it is almost our responsibility to share that expertise uh, with whomever needs it. And we limit ourselves if we only think in person. I mean, I think guest lectures are a, a key example of this that has changed that you had to be in a specific time and place and everyone else's time and place had to align. So like you really had to like have all of these alignments to have people who want to learn, be able to access it. Now with the, you know, having Zooms, being able to record, have asynchronous, the the um, ambitious learners can have access to the information uh, and our expertise whenever. And it really, you know, if we think about it as a mission-driven, um, mission-driven profession of education. Like this aligns closely with what I believe we should be doing, uh, which is providing access to people who want to learn about our topic. And it shouldn't matter that they're, you know, for me, that they're in Tucson on Tuesday at 11 a.m. to be able to to be there for me and is sort of reversing the instead of they need to meet us where we are, we can actually meet them where they are.
1: Hmm. Well, that's the name of the game, isn't it? The dissemination of knowledge, certainly the production of knowledge, but in some sense, absent. the dissemination thereof. It, it it serves one person,
0: <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> and exactly. The person
1: finding it out, and 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 um, it's it's interesting. The world has changed. I found myself strangely teaching online on Zoom in twenty seventeen, and so when the pandemic hit, I just got busier and mm-hmm. and it's so. I mean, the world is so interesting. In the last say couple of months, uh, I'll do a YDT in Norway. I'll do a guest lecture at a university in New York. I'll do. You name it, uh, uh, you know, a lecture uh, in the, on the west, in west coast of Canada, et cetera, et cetera, all from here where we're speaking now on Zoom, and it's the world really is changing in terms of access to information and speakers, and it's brilliant. I mean, I had, I literally had Corinne um, Dempsey on the podcast. I mean, for anybody who does Hindu goddess stuff, like the goddess lives upstate New York. I mean, iconic, yeah. iconic, yeah. right? And um, we're just emailing after the podcast. Hey, would you like to speak to my, you know, my 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 Hinduism women and goddesses class? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> All <laughs> I need is a Zoom link. i about an hour on my schedule. It's like it's a little bit um, unreal, but it's great. Um,
0: and you know, if we also think about that from like a sustainability front, you know, I you know, as scholars of South Asia and of of India, like there, we have also a responsibility to share our findings with the Indian community and what it required before was a great amount of financial resources. Um, It also required a lot of environmental resources with flights. And then again, we had limited populations when we got there. Now I can literally wake up a little bit early, zoom in to, you know, um, JNU or DU or University of Mysore or Calicut University do a lecture, engage with with students and and historians, and then I can log off and I can come to work, right? (laughs) And so the the disruptions um, that this is able to allow in the way that we exchanged information globally uh, has has really been beneficial for for everyone. And we're all growing through these interactions and becoming, uh, honestly, in my opinion, more ethical scholars, the more we engage in this type of online activity.
1: That's fascinating. I'm just remembering, as you know, you forget all the threads, right? I remember just a couple of years ago, it was uh, I had a bit more bandwidth. I teach at the the OCHS's Continuing Studies Department, but I had a bit more bandwidth to do administration uh, and organize some events for them. And we had an online weekend school, and we, I think you were one of the speakers. And I mean, scholars from everywhere. Uh, I can't even remember the topic for that one. It might have been the Hindu goddess, actually. And it's just, it's really cool. I mean, people can just. Hear expertise from scholars across uh, the Americas and the UK, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And, you know, what do you see, what are perhaps some of the challenges that we're still working out uh, with the whole online uh, education thing?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, honestly, one of the biggest hurdles that um, I'm faced with and that I hear um, all the time is... Something I alluded to earlier, and that's the comparison of of in-person and online um, that people see that is an, as an either or that, you know, is it, <clears throat> excuse me, is it as good as um, being in class and it's, it's to choose this one or this one? And the real answer to that to me is um, for whom? For some people, in person is better because they have the means to be there. For other people that don't necessarily have the means to be there or have other obligations, online can be a better choice. And when you think about, you know, pedagogically what we're doing, uh, if you lean, if you try to replicate in person and online you wind up being disingenuous, and it doesn't resonate. But if you lean into the modality and use the tools that are available, uh, you can produce something that stands on its own, has its rigor, has deep learning. Uh, and so coming overcoming that either or, um, which is rooted in a deeper concern of um, online is lesser than, uh, that this is not as rigorous, this is not as uh, important, this is What you do kind of on the side, and you get by and you get your like fake degree, you get your fake credential. um, And, you know, being in the space now full time and traveling to conferences and myself taking online uh, courses, uh, it is absolutely not the case. Like, I can point back to very bad classes I had in person and i can certainly point to bad classes i've had online i can also point to phenomenal classes in person and phenomenal classes online and so it's you know it's the same issues that we have with um instructional quality is also there in and online uh but in in many respects it is you know it is a different modality, but it is something that is at full rigor of requirements for accreditation and for everything else. And I, you know, I, I'm willing to any day bet any of my programs against our our main campus uh, that we are producing students who are as knowledgeable, um, as satisfied as as anybody else.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. And um, in this particular case, I can chime in, having taught maybe about four or five. Online credit courses and university courses, the students learned as much, if not more, as if mm-hmm. I was actually present. And in certain cases, they were more engaged with, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the very, you know, watching. You know, we we had class time and go watch Cheetah Sings the Blues, and let's talk about, let's discuss, you know, or or etc. etc. Cetera, et cetera. Um, and this this idea that the world associates online with social media, for example. So it's a space to hang out and connect, but the online medium is much, much, much more than that. And without question, it's a vibrant and thriving learning space, and that's been yeah. shown time and time again. And as I said, I went from a skeptic. I went from a, uh, you know, I went, I went from a skeptic to a, you know, to to an online to, to a well-known online teacher in the field of Hindu studies, at least in the continuous studies world. And it's just, um, it's just bringing your people skills and your empathy and your pedagogical skills. And it's just adapting it to a different situation. I mean, above and beyond just even teaching, I do one-on-one sort of life guidance where people, people had massive breakthroughs where it's and were hundreds of miles apart, but it's, it's, it's the online. It's not that it's not, it's, it's just a medium. It's just another medium of dissemination of communication, Um, And in addition to the instruction, it opens up so much more enrichment in terms of video, audio, um, etc., etc. I got a a whiff, a taste of uh, your sort of uh, dynamism and flair as a teacher because I think it was 2018-ish. I edited a storytelling, a teaching tale, storytelling and teaching edition uh for religious studies news the, the the american academy of religions magazine and i think you were one of the contributors and you were if, as i recall correctly you were really um it was above and beyond just using storytelling as many of us do teaching about tales teaching tales but you know you're really um maybe i'll put a link to that in the podcast notes along with everything else we're touching on but it, 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 transmedia balancing i think is what you were um driving at even then so It's fantastic i'm sure folks um i'm sure students are really engaged and learn a lot in such courses now as an administrator above and beyond a teacher uh does it follow you and all to establish a culture or teach or train or how you know what is the role in terms of um helping other teachers make that journey to becoming effective online teachers
0: yeah it's a um you know it's Part of the job, uh, you know, actually winds up being a, a little smaller part of the job than what I had originally thought. It's uh, a lot of a lot of spreadsheets and, and budgets. Uh, to be honest with you, but it it comes into the discussion when we start talking about you know the main maintenance of rigor um, and how faculty workload is going to be established. Uh, because in in my mind, um, if someone is a good online teacher. Even if it's asynchronous, the course can never be set it and forget it. Like it takes effort. Uh, even if everything's pre-recorded, to give detailed grading feedback to ensure that you're responding to student concerns, you know, engaging them through announcements and whatnot. There's a there's a, an equal level of um of time investment that needs to be put into into each course. And so that winds up being a lot of the conversation with. With deans and department heads when we're talking about their their online programs because the the big problem is how uh, we run on a seven and a half week model uh, but the main campus is primarily a fifteen or sixteen week semester so we're in in two sessions how do they divide A faculty members workload between the main campus population and our online population and the knee jerk um, reaction, and you know i've had this as well, is how do I take. 15 weeks of information and you know squeeze it down to, to seven and a half weeks. Uh, and so having that uh, conversation winds up being one where we have to dive into the actual pedagogies of online teaching and the population which we're serving. Because again, the, the the primary assumption is that these are like other students, our online students who are 18 to 22 right out of high school. The average age of Arizona online is over 30 years old. Um, the majority, uh, I think is somewhere in 70s, 70% of our students work full time. So um, rethinking uh, exactly who these students are and how they take courses. So taking four courses over 16 weeks or 15 weeks and dividing that attention uh, over that, that length of time between four subjects is less efficient than having two courses at a time that are constricted, uh, and most most research shows that the the shorter time frame, somewhere between five and, and seven and a half weeks, is the ideal time frame for those learners who have all these other obligations to really be able to focus their attention. And you know, most of our students are part time, so really they're taking one course at a time, uh, but completing two in a semester as opposed to having to do two and juggle those ideas at once. So it's it it's, it's a reframing of Uh, many of our assumptions about what a university course ought to look like and rethinking it, really having a student-first approach and how we can can help them achieve their learning goals given their circumstances as opposed to just doing things the way they've been done. Mm.
1: Um, Do you or would you uh, consider, I mean, you as in perhaps the organization or even personally, uh, teaching pedagogy, teaching how to teach online,
0: Yeah, so we're actually, um, my colleagues over at the uh, Arizona University Center for Assessment Teaching and Technology uh, have been working on a certificate program that they'll be running through our College of Education um, that's um, teaching online by design. Uh, And so it is really a a series of courses that looks at uh, sort of an instructional design perspective plus an instructor's perspective to be able to really think about how you build an effective online course. And so they're taking the best worlds of instructional designers and instructors and mixing them together for a a holistic pedagogy about how we as instructors and instructional designers ought to be thinking about how... Uh, our courses are you know built from the ground up to be online courses uh, so it's, it's going to be pretty exciting and we we've, we've talked about the possibility of of developing that it's a I believe it's going to be a graduate certificate at this point into a full um, master's programs where people can get a master's in it. So it's a, it's a really innovative uh, project. And I'm, I'm happy that my colleagues at UCAT is what we call that center um, have, you know, went through the the practice of building out the curriculum.
1: Fascinating. Regarding the programs that are on offer um, through the school, are the programs, uh, are they hybrid insofar as there are certain courses in person and online, or, or are there programs where they're completely online with the requirements?
0: Yes, our uh, online campus is 100% online, 100% asynchronous, um, primarily seven and a half week, uh, even though we do, through the pandemic, we've made some exceptions, and so there's some uh, 15-week programs, but we focus on the um, asynchronous modality because of our student population and who we're targeting. And those are, you know, working adults who have, um, you know, some of them have child care obligations, elder care obligations, uh, where they can really, we can be available as they need and as as we can accommodate. Uh, so that's that's been our primary focus. We also offer... Um, asynchronous through other units uh, or synchronous sorry through other units of the university like our our distance uh, and our continuing education uh, branches but our campus in particular is, is focused on asynchronous which is also where my strength lie so we're in alignment
1: what do you most enjoy about this work or this enterprise
0: all right. I mean, this is a, my favorite question because I get really excited about it. Uh, because I I do believe that you know it is a place in higher education where I can make a difference. You know, I can I can teach my course, and I had some large courses. I mean, one time a, a course had thirteen hundred students, so it's a, it's a pretty good reach, and I can make an impact. But even at that largest of of one of my Gen Eds. You know, every day here in this job, I'm affecting almost 10,000 students. Uh, I can help push policies forward to make higher education more inclusive, more diverse, more accessible, more equitable, more just. Uh, And by having that ability and being in the room when some of those decisions are being made, uh, I can walk away every day, no matter how frustrating they are. And there's tons of frustrating days. I can walk away knowing that, like, I'm and this sounds a little cheesy, but like fighting the good fight, like trying to work to make higher education better.
1: Yeah, fantastic. I've noticed in in self and others and, um, you know, theoretically, I know Sanskrit narrative or religion, but I think really what what I, what I love and know the best is actually human beings. And, you know, many of us are lucky to have a job and some of us are very lucky to have a career and some of us are extraordinarily lucky to have a mission. That's monetized, whether traditionally or entrepreneurially, and that mission drives you. You get up and you're like, you know, I'm in dharma. You know, to use an Indic uh, expression, like I'm doing what I'm here to do. You know, uh, whether defined by uh purpose or duty or some combination, and and um, this is what I'm here to do. I mean, in, in my particular case, it's you know, I'm here to teach. I'm here to disseminate, disseminate knowledge and transform. piece of the educational world or as a scholar to transform a piece of the interpretation of narrative etc blah 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 who cares the point is being driven by what you're passionate about then um all of the all of the the nonsense attached to any job particularly a bureaucratic job is worth it and um the fact that you're impacting other human beings i mean when someone such as probably the people on this podcasts right now are gifted with empathy it's it's it makes all the difference to know that you've made that difference in the lives of other people so that's that's it's amazing that you're doing this work um uh let's see maybe i'll ask you one more question and then we'll we'll wrap up do you feel that uh in your perspective and of course your sample size of one that what is being done at the university of arizona online ish, generally, 30,000 foot view pan out from Arizona, maybe pan out even from America pan out. Do you think that this is sort of, do you think that universities in general, that this should be sort of a cornerstone of the university experience in in these times?
0: Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, I mean, what, what what we're learning, the more data that's being garnered through different surveys for different organizations at, at all levels, not just those focusing on distance and, and online education, uh, are showing that there is demand from students for online courses, uh, that this suits their needs. It's the modality with which they're familiar and Unless universities really start to take it seriously, they're going to to miss the vote uh for what what the future is. Like get ahead of it now why while, while it's you know sort of between fifty and seventy-five percent. Cause soon it's going to be the expectation that, you know, every um every program is fluid in its modality. And in fact, the the Chloe Eight report just came out a couple of weeks ago and it was subtitled. And I I apologize to the the people over at Quality Matters for forgetting the subtitle, but it was about the multimodality future of higher education. Uh, that if you look at the the data, people are expecting this to be the future. That when someone goes to a residential college, that a great percentage of their courses will still be online, and there'll be a mixture of in person and online so really you you've got to get ahead of it and i know this is something that for a lot of our listeners are going to be you know academics in the humanities and if you look around the higher ed landscape uh from different universities closing their doors on language programs on literature programs and in some cases religion programs uh that it's it's a problem that the humanities are facing and I honestly don't think it's because there's a lack of, of desire here at the university of Arizona, our humanities program is growing leaps and bounds. And part of it is because we leaned into the online modality. So there's, if we meet students, they'll meet us. And we're also in the humanities, you know, not to to get preachy, but we tend to be a little old school. We tend to be like, we need paper books. We need in-person and, you know, we're trying to, to hold back a, a river from flowing that's gonna flow anyway. Um we're trying to dam it up. So I think we need to reevaluate um why we have those prejudices against sort of some of the, the more um burgeoning uh technologies to really be able to rethink, you know, how we can serve our students and how we can serve our our selves and our own interests by meeting the students where they are
1: yeah, it's it's so utterly fascinating and relevant it really it just uh, it's uh, it's so interesting for me to watch your career from the outside and see these bizarre parallels it, it, it's bizarre enough that we have these research interests as you know you know um the wonderful self-respecting men who study the hindu goddess <laughs> and love the hindu goddess and want to understand yeah. you know
0: uh maybe there's is... something about the goddess and online too like I mean... yeah.
1: <laughs> the goddess lives online <laughs> yeah there you go
0: yeah um, i mean, what well, you think um, about like you know i i know you just published a, an article uh, I, I saw the the announcement come through about the you know the different um
1: mother of compassion personalities yeah
0: Yeah, personalities of the goddess and if you really think about that those are modalities right those are modalities by which people are able to uh, you know go to the goddess by you know either wrath or power uh, mothering compassion like you know, these are the different facets, ways to get yeah. To the same end, and that's really what online is offering to education as well. It's you know, it's you know, I am not going to say whether it's book or mukti, uh, but you know, uh, it is a different she doesn't
1: outcome. choose, she doesn't, yeah. bukti, mukti, <laughs> <laughs> um, nerdy, uh, too, too nerdy a joke, but anyhow, but for, for those of you who are listening, clearly without question, we're not, I mean, it's only this podcast isn't about marketing anything to anybody. I mean, I mean, a fraction of a fraction of the audience might even consider be eligible to take these courses, but why, why I've invited you Caleb is, is because of this conversation, you know, um, much of my processing is intuitive and then I have to wait until evidence shows up for me to say it out loud to people who need the evidence. But I've said to my inner circle for a number of years, about at least four, maybe five that the future of humanities lies in online in person hybrid i could just feel it in the core of my being and now like you have the evidence for it you have the model for it it's happening i mean and yeah i mean me personally i was and still i'm in many ways Uh, technophobe and I'm challenged with certain things. It was like pulling teeth, trying to create a website. Like Mm -hmm. I was literally in tears five years ago. It was just ridiculous because I spent all my life understanding emotions and, and spirituality and intellectual stuff. And I just couldn't do any of this uh, more practical stuff, but, but um, you know, and I just, I think of RT Dawn, who's a brilliant scholar and storyteller and just, I had to sit her down one day and spend a couple hours with her just because it's so, it's such a challenge to get over the tech piece but once she got over that hurdle, she has a thriving, fascinating podcast, the Mahabharata yeah, podcast. Definitely. And I think, I think this is—we're we're becoming the change that's needed. It's it, it's not innovation at the expense of or compromising tradition. It's innovation so as to extend tradition. This is our survival. This is our way. This is our—you know. <laughs> Um, many vestiges of our guild will go the way of the Dodo if we don't adapt mm-hmm. and, and meet the needs yep. of the students in the world. And and that does not mean sacrificing rigor. It doesn't mean sacrifice. It doesn't mean sacrificing anything mm-hmm. actually it means actually adding rather than, than taking away from, but, you know, I think we're both similar in that way. And I just, I'm just fascinated that somehow we're both studying the goddess and really into administration and teaching and online teaching in particular. So here you go. Um, and it's, there, uh, you. Know, I had this conversation. Um, I did a. What did I do? I did some talks at uh, Colgate University last fall. Uh, they have a place called Chapel House. The same person who founded Harvard's uh, Center for the Study of the World Religions funded Chapel House for more contemplative studies. And so I was doing some talks, and who knows what. But uh, and my colleague there invited me. Said, "You know, are you? You know, you seem to be thriving. But are you on the job market?" Like, are you looking for an getting job? And it was it was an open question. And I said, to be honest with you, I was on the job market for I think a year after I graduated, and then America went a little bit different in twenty sixteen. And I thought, let me wait that out. And I was astonished that I could produce and be connected, and I was fine. And then, <laughs> by the time the election cycle was over, there was a pandemic, and then it was like everyone's online anyways. I'm staying in Toronto, you know, yeah. <laughs> why not? Um, and then I said to her, this colleague, I said, look. To be honest with you i know yeah, i'd love to be i love i love undergrads yeah 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 for the right fit clearly there have been zero positions looking for scholars of Sanskrit narrative since i've been looking looking for that research bit obviously um but uh, i would i would love to teach at the university but i said to her i said it would be a little bit of a waste to just do that traditional job it would have to be a university who would want to put me to work to run something i literally said to her like some kind of online teaching space or public facing or some kind of, you know, whatever. I said, these other pieces of the puzzle would have to be part of the professorial post for it to to make sense for both of us. And hilariously, I'm like, oh yeah, something like that, what Caleb's doing. <laughs> I don't want your job, I assure you. I'm happily self-employed. Don't want your job. I'm like, yeah, something like that. You know, just, you know, whether it's at the University of Toronto or somewhere in Canada, who knows her, but just sort of pushing the envelope forward on the online mm-hmm. education for some respected institution to show that, you um, it's not a question of pedigree versus online. It's a question of actually integrating these two worlds. I think. Um, is there anything else about uh, anything at all yourself, uh, your students, uh, the, the, the the University of Arizona Online that you wanted to touch on before we close for today?
0: Yeah, you know, I I would like to talk about one other thing, and that is you know because really my my personal and professional mission is about. Uh, increasing access, and one thing that has been really fun about this job is that, you know, whenever you have some decision-making ability, you can also try some cool things, and so one thing that uh, we we recently launched as a pilot and have been kind of going around through the conference circuit for online talking about is rethinking study abroad. Uh, how could we translate a study abroad experience for students who have all of these um, barriers to being able to go on a traditional study abroad from time, being able to get off work, leaving kids behind, leaving partners behind. like It's actually, you know, study abroad is a very niche uh, market, uh, the way it's constructed. So we were able to launch a, a pilot for a virtual reality study abroad, uh, in which we sent a, a professor to uh, Greece. And it's about the ancient uh, Greek world. Uh, who would deliver in-situ lectures, uh, build out other components such as, you know, beekeeping, olive taste, olive oil tastings, building out the other sensory experiences that you would have with study abroad. And um, so right now we're, you know, we're collecting data on how successful that is, uh, but being able to, to really think of the things that are critical to the, the the humanities teaching experience and being able to take students places and have that cultural exchange. How can we replicate it? So, you know, is it going to be exactly replicable? Uh, no, but there's probably some other things we can do that you couldn't do um, in the space, uh, like I mean, a lot of the sites in Greece, were not wheelchair accessible. So someone who was in a wheelchair would not ever be able to do it, never be able to see the sites from, from these vantage points. And now they're able to to visit it uh, virtually. So there's, so many excited, exciting possibilities with VR, AR. Let's not even talk about AI because it deserves its own its own time. But it's a it's a world of possibilities right now, and I think the humanities are well suited to to grab a hold of that because what we do is inherently interesting, uh, and so we're able to you know capture some of that interest if we think in new and innovative ways.
1: Mm. Fascinating. Well, thank you for appearing on the podcast and thank you in particular for Becoming the Change. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you for having me. And thank you for all that you do in this space as well. You're you're crushing it.
1: <laughs> I'll see what I, you know, you know, I do what I can.
0: <laughs> uh, for
1: those listening, we've of course been speaking with Dr. Caleb Simmons, who's professor of religious studies at University of Arizona and executive director of U Arizona online. <laughs> Um, The links to his books and probably everything we mentioned in passing will be in the podcast notes. Until next time, keep well, keep listening, keep reading, keep thinking, and keep contemplating the future of online education. Take care.